Resurrection Sunday. Now, Passover began the 27th of last month. So technically, three days later, which would have been the 30th, was the resurrection, but we're going to celebrate it this morning. Haven't you enjoyed um, having the resurrection songs and talking about the Lord rising again this morning? Well, we're going, to, we're going to go over that. It just happens that it all falls out on the same time here, and so uh, we're just belated a few days. It was this past week that we celebrate if we were going to look at the Jewish calendar accurately. And um, so this morning, we're going to go into something that probably you haven't heard it preached this way before. Uh, we've been talking about signs, and it's amazing that we closed the last sign, the seventh sign, book of John, first 12 chapters, seven major signs that Jesus did and showed. And every one of those he ended up preaching, self-declaring about himself as being the I am. And we just finished those last Sunday, and but we're not finished with signs. We've got to go into Matthew, the 12th chapter, 38th verse, down through the 40th. And then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered, saying, Teacher, we desire to see a sign from you. But answering, he said to them, An evil and an adulterous generation seeks a sign, and a sign shall not be given to it, except the sign of Jonah the prophet. For even as Jonah was in the belly of the huge fish, Three days and three nights, so shall the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. I want, if you would, to turn with me to John, the 19th chapter, and the 31st verse. John 19 and 31. Then since it was... Preparation, since it was preparation, the bodies not remain on the cross on the Sabbath. For great was the day of that Sabbath. I believe it was not only a Sabbath, but a feast Sabbath. And the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and they be taken away. Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and the other crucified with him. But on coming to Jesus, they saw he was already dead and they did not break his legs. I want to go over now into the book of Acts. And as I was reading recently, I ran across this scripture, and I thought, wow, this, this so aptly ties together. It's Acts, the fourth chapter, and the 29th verse. And now Peter and John had been arrested. They had been threatened by the elders, the Jews, not to preach in this name any longer. 
And but yet, when they were released, they came back together, and they prayed a prayer. And it said, And now, Lord, look upon their threatenings, and give your servants to speak your word with all boldness. In the extending of your hand for healing and miracles, and really that word miracles there is signs and wonders to happen through the name of your holy child, Jesus. And they having prayed, the place in which they were gathered was shaken, and they were all filled of the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God with boldness. Then I want to go to verse 33. And with great power, the apostles gave testimony of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Great grace was upon them all. Wow. That scripture just kind of stood out to me, and, and uh, boy, what a connection this has with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I want to talk about the sign of Jonah this morning, the sign of Jonah. And Lord, we ask you for everyone that's come here this morning that they'll hear the word of God. Lord, and that it just may, may somehow draw us closer to you. Lord, may if there is any question about your resurrection, there may be some question about faith this morning. And I ask you, Lord Jesus, that you would just pour out as faith comes by hearing and hearing a word of Christ. So this morning as we preach you, that hearts would be lifted and helped and encouraged and blessed. In Jesus' name we ask it. And all the church said amen, amen, and amen. This message of the resurrection is the greatest sign of any of the signs that Jesus did prior. We've gone through those, what they called the, the book of signs, those first 12 chapters, and, and the Lord did some amazing things. He healed some bodies. He spoke some word to people and healed them, raised them. He turned water into wine. He walked on water. He multiplied bread and fish and fed the 5,000 men plus women and children. He raised Lazarus out of the grave. These were great signs. They could not, there was no way for the Jews to deny that these things had happened, especially when Jesus called Lazarus out of the grave and there were Jews that were there and they saw it and they reported back to the Pharisees. And we talked about that last week. And what, 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 a, what a great sign it must have been to those who believed in Jesus. But yet they would not believe in him. And yet they would not receive his signs. In fact, our, our text here this morning in Matthew 12, it said, we desire to see a sign. He's been giving them signs, and they can't seem to get them. They won't receive them because if you don't believe a sign, you can explain it away. If you don't believe that God does what he does, you can make it circumstance. You can just say, well, it was going to happen anyway. 
I mean, we could bring somebody up here and lay hands on them and pray for them, and God heal them, and somebody said, no, it was just going to happen anyway, but, but I'm in the opposite camp. I want to give God credit for everything that he does, and every sign that he performs, it goes glory unto him. But this last sign that he will do concerning his resurrection this one all alone will verify all of the declarations that he's made about himself as being the great I am or the living God tabernacled in flesh. This one, this one example of his power, one example of who he really is. And when he said, I lay my life down and I take it up again. This must be an imperative. He can't miss on this. He can't say a thing and it not happen. He cannot say that he's going to come out of the grave and then it doesn't happen. I'm telling you this morning that everything that Jesus was, everything that he said, everything he did, every promise in the word of God that talked about him hangs upon his resurrection from the dead. Can the church say amen? Pastor Rodney already said this morning, if Jesus hasn't risen from the dead, then our faith would be in vain. There is no other miracle that could have taken the place that could have patched this over. Nothing else could have said otherwise. He said, I lay my life down and I take it back up again. If he had not resurrected, then the Old Testament must be discarded and thrown away. If he had not resurrected, then the New Testament must have been done away with and thrown away and you just need to live like there is no God. Just live however you want to live and don't expect any judgment or any recourse for what you have done if Jesus doesn't rise from the dead. And I'm sorry this morning, Satan, but when they checked on the fourth morning and when they came out to see his burying place, he was not there. He had already risen, and it wasn't that morning that he had risen. He had risen uh, earlier that evening because he stayed in the tomb 72 hours. Can everybody say amen on that? We've got... Well, I tell you what, I'm I'm going to have to do this, and and it's it's never it's never easy. It's never easy for the hearer, and it's never easy for me. But but we've got some things that we need to see about his resurrection, and I hope you don't take offense to this. But there are many self-proclaimed prophets that don't live under the same scrutiny that Jesus lived under. Whatever he said had to come to pass, and we've got prophets in this day that are saying a lot of things and they don't come to pass, and they just keep right on going, and they keep right on prophesying because they're not under the same scrutiny as our Lord. But when he says that he's coming out of the grave, listen, we already we read it a few weeks ago in the book of Hebrews. It said all things are held together by the word of his power. And if he were to lie about this, which, which cannot happen with him, but if he were to lie on this, then I believe the world would explode, that the universe would give up because it's all held together by the power of his word. Can you say amen there? And so when he says that I'm dying, that I'm laying down in the grave, and that I'm coming back up again, listen, all the world hangs 
upon that prophetic word of his. And it does come to pass. Amen. Satan and his workers. I don't believe they knew the whole plan of God. But I believe they were privy at least to what the Old Testament said. They also could read. They also could hear the prophets. And Satan and his workers wanted to do everything they could to stop this process. Somebody said that, that hell was cheering when Jesus was on the cross. And they were having a blast. But I'm not so sure about that. Because they knew that he said, I'm coming back again. So if he's down, he's not out. And if he's dead, he's not done. He's going to die, but he's going to rise from the grave again. They've heard him. They know what he can do. I'm not so sure that they're celebrating at the death of the Lord Jesus Christ because they couldn't stop the plan. The plan was his death. The plan was his burial. The plan was his resurrection. And so because Satan could not stop those things, he moved in another direction. And that was to distract from it, to confuse the matter, and do what he does best. He is full of deceit. The enemy of our soul, the diabolus in the Greek, means that he throws thoughts and he throws confusion and he throws doubt and he throws fear into God's preaching, God's faith, God's counsel. If he can, he throws doubt in there in your mind that you won't believe it all. And if he can't get you not to believe it, he will confuse it and mix it. This is the way of the devil. He's been doing this, and he speaks in a mixing form. He, he puts the word of God and some of the word of God and some of the word of flesh, some of the mind of the flesh, and mixes it together and preaches that as being a gospel. It's one of the reasons why we stay here very strict with the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not here to allow the devil to mix up the world in the church because I believe it needs to go straight forward and what God said still has to be preached no matter what the world is doing. Can you say amen? And if he can't stop it, if he can't put a stop to God's plan, he'll do his best to confuse the message about the plan. And I want to say something here, and I don't, again, don't want anybody offended, but I just want you to see some history. In the year 325, in the church council of Nicaea, under the direction of Emperor Constantine, who was under the influence of the devil, demanded that the Passover would no longer be observed by the Christian churches in the Roman Empire, which covered the known world. But rather, Easter would represent the Lord's death. And now I'm going to get in some trouble because uh, years ago I remember an, another brother preacher said there are those that are trying to do, a, do away with our good Christian holidays. They're preaching things, you know, to do away with our good Christian holidays, and, and I'm not really, that's not my attempt here. 
I believe in good Christian holidays, but I don't believe that history is going to reveal to us that this was a Christian holiday. The first Sunday after the full moon, you cannot observe the Passover any longer. Churches in the Roman Empire, it's mandated now that you're going to celebrate the Lord's death on Easter, which is the first Sunday after the full moon. Now, some of you wonder why uh, Passover and Easter don't run together. This time, they were pretty close, but not, not really on the same day or the same week even. But, but they, they do Passover by the Jewish calendar when the Passover was. And that's what the apostles went back down to Jerusalem to honor, the time of the Passover. But Easter is done on the first Sunday after the full moon. And it always has been. It's always been that way uh, worshipped. And, and, and so it was combined together in this church council. And it was mandated to the churches that they would no longer uh, honor the Passover, but they would honor Easter. Listen, once you begin to fabricate a thing, once you begin to take thing down from its foundation and its root, there's a, there's a lot of things that can go wrong. It frees you up to do a lot of changes. And and virtually what they did was change the very scripture itself. And this is where I see the devil, the enemy coming in. He wants to change something that's so beautiful. The, the worship of the Lord on the day of resurrection is a corner piece of the Christian church. It's something we honor. It's something we believe. It's something we sing about. It's something we teach about. We preach about. Our lives are built upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so if the devil can come, and if he can cause there to be confusion, if he can just add to it a little bit, if he can just make it something just a little different than what it does, he takes out the impact of what God intended for there to be. And so if you fiddle around and you fabricate what day we're going to do it on, then you can change the scripture to read this way, is that Jesus died on Good Friday, and on Sunday, he was resurrected. Any moron that's been to school more than just a few times would realize that's at most two days, or one day and two nights. That's not physically possible for Jesus to say, I will be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights and to die on Friday and to raise on Sunday morning just can't happen. Can the church say amen? And if we go that far to fabricate now the days and to make them differently than what the scripture says, we're not on Passover anymore. We're not on three days and three nights anymore. Then why don't we just turn it back to its original thing, which is worship to the goddess Ishtar. The bunnies and the eggs. And I don't know where you're at on that. And you might like to hide eggs and you might like to do that. And, and you know, I'm just going to let you deal with it any way you want. I eat eggs. I like eggs. But I don't hide them. I eat them. You can hide eggs and look for them if you want to. I'd rather hide candy bars myself and find the candy bars. But when you take the resurrection and now, now it's become the wrong time. Now it's become the wrong days. Now we integrate into that bunnies and eggs which are connected all the way back to the goddess Ishtar the goddess of fertility, the goddess of sex, the goddess of love, 
bunnies and chicks and chickens and, and eggs. And then the, the Greek uh, Aphrodite, you might have heard of her. She is just the Greek version of Ishtar. But the Romans had their own version, Venus. Venus also was equal to Ishtar. So they didn't call the day Venus, but they did call it Easter. And they're incorporated within the most wonderful day of worship of our Lord Jesus Christ and clouded it with, it's just like Santa Claus, folks. Santa Claus has nothing to do with the birth of the Lord. I don't know. Maybe you don't know that. Somebody got mad and said, hey, you're not taking away Halloween. That's a good Christian. No, come on. What happens is the work of the devil is to cloud. It is to make it camouflage, if you will. It's to get under the scope and, and to infiltrate and sow seeds. Isn't it of the devil to sow seeds in a righteous field? Isn't it the work of the enemy to, to just bring doubt and fear and question? We raise our kids and they don't have a clear understanding about Christmas. They don't have a clear understanding about Easter. They don't have a clear understanding about all the holidays and they're so mixed up with the world and they're so integrated with the thoughts that don't have anything to do with the Lord. And I've got to peel it back this morning for you and you do whatever you want to with it. But what I'm telling you this morning, Easter has nothing to do with the Christian faith. The death the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ are our cornerstone. Yeshua HaMashiach who died, he was buried and he was raised again by the power of God. That is the message that's going to change lives. Bunnies and eggs don't change life. Santa Clauses don't change life. Easter don't change life. Jesus Christ risen from the dead. Power Power over death, power over hell, power over the grave. So the enemy's attempts, the enemy's attempts to infiltrate what really is a Christian holiday way back to Egypt and the Passover. His attempt to tear down, to infiltrate with thoughts that have nothing to do with the Lord. His attempt to do that has at least in this church come to naught. Can you say amen? And so using the Striper's song title, To Hell with the Devil. I'm not cussing. Hell is a place. The devil's going there. I hate him. He's a delusion. He's a liar. He's the one that has afflicted the church. He's the one that has afflicted doctrine. He's afflicted everything that's good and right and pure. But we're not going to allow him this morning. He's not here in this pulpit. He is not here in this people. He's not here in this church. Jesus Christ is above all. He will be ruler of all. He will be Lord of all. No matter what the devil does, and he is going to end up in hell. Thank God. Amen. So I want to go to the sign of Jonah. 
the sign of Jonah. Wow. Isn't it amazing that those things that happened in the Old Testament, you know, we just take that little book of Jonah, I think it's only got four or five chapters. It just squeezed, squeezed in there in the old little prophets, you know. Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micaiah, just little books. And seemingly, they don't mean too much. There are those that don't believe that Jonah was swallowed by a great fish. If you don't believe that Jonah was swallowed by a great fish, you can't believe the resurrection. I'm sorry. They go together. No, a whale can't swallow a man. I don't know if it was a whale. I don't know if it was bigger than a whale. But I believe God's word above the words of scientists. I believe God's word is right above the word of school teachers. I believe God's word is right above the atheists and agnostics. I believe that God said Jonah was swallowed by a whale or a big fish. He was swallowed by a big fish. That's my faith. Prove it. I don't have to prove it. The scripture said it. I believe it. God is the one who wrote it. God is the one who said it. And I believe it. And it's that simple for me. The sign of Jonah cannot work for you if you don't believe that Jonah was swallowed by a fish. Well, if he was, he couldn't have lived. Well, I, I don't know about all that. How did he breathe? How did he get I don't know. I don't know. It doesn't matter. What matters is, is that it happened and the prophet wrote it down and then Jesus said it happened. And I believe Jesus knows all truth. Can you say amen? So listen, the, the, the sign of Jonah, Herod wants to see a sign. The Jews want to see a sign. Everybody wants to see a sign, but there were a lot of signs given. But this one sign is going to be the accumulative proof. Jonah's sign. It's amazing that in the Old Testament, God laid things out to happen in the New Testament that compared to the Old Testament. If Jonah, all he did was go on a whale, then he preached to Nineveh and they got saved and, and that was the end of it, well, that's a good thing. But he tied right into Christ. He didn't know it. He would just go in his way doing his thing and then he fell into this situation in his life. If you read Jonah's prayer, I like Jonah's prayer. He's pleading the Psalms. I think it was 17 references to the book of Psalms while he's laying in the belly of a whale with seaweed wrapped around his head. He can't see anything, but he can feel seaweed all around him. He thinks he's in the belly of hell. And I cried out in the belly of hell unto the Lord God, and he saved me, he said. What's amazing is the references of Jesus to the book of the Psalms is approximately 17. There's this great tie-in of Jonah and Jesus in that this thing that happens is going to show this last great sign of the Lord Jesus Christ. So here's Jonah, and it's in three parallel parts. First, 
he's cast away as a sacrifice to save the others. He was on the boat, running away from what the Lord told him to do. A great storm comes up, and now they're throwing everything off the boat. They feel like they're going down. And finally, Jonah said, no, guys, it's me. I ran away from what God wanted me to do. And now he is, he says, cast me over. They throw him over, and he's a sacrifice to save the others. Immediately, when he got thrown in, and he is swallowed by that fish, then the oceans calmed and everybody was saved. So that's one point. The second one, he was wrapped in death for three days and three nights. And I'm not going anywhere with this except for 72 hours. If the Lord said three days and three nights, I'm saying 72 hours. I'm saying three full nights, three full days. Everybody in accordance with that, say amen. The third thing was that he was spit out on dry land. We call it resurrection. He wasn't actually dead, but in a sense he was dead, laying in that belly of that whale. And he said, I'm at the bottom of the earth. That, that thing must have gone down into the deep. He, could, he felt dissension but didn't know where he was. But finally that thing come up and spit him out on dry land. The sign of Jonah. Now let's look at the Lord in the sign of Jonah in the parallel. In three parts, let's look at the first sign. The Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. Jesus hanging on the cross. Hanging there bleeding. Hanging there dying. Hanging there gasping for air. But the plaque above his head, and we said this before many times, I'll just repeat it again. The plaque above his head, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, is written in English, and, or excuse me, not English, in Greek, and in Hebrew, and in Latin, and in Hebrew, the acronym Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, is Yahweh. And if you can't see him there bleeding and dying from the Old Testament prophets, and you can't see his sacrifice, you can't see him as the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, neither are you going to see the title that's over him. He is Yahweh God, dying for sin. Somebody said God can't die. Well, you're wrong. God died in Christ Jesus. It was God who shed the blood. Acts 20, 28. It was by God's blood that you are washed this morning. Somebody say amen. It's God's blood. Water doesn't wash you. Water can't wash your sins away. Good works cannot wash your sins away. Shaking the pastor's hand, the confessional booth, doing the beads and a prayer cannot wash your sins away. But there's one power that can wash every sin from every person across this world. That is the blood of Jesus Christ laying there, dying there, gasping there for air and bleeding out. You want a sign? How about three hours of darkness? Will that do anything for you? Three hours of a total eclipse. Wow, this is really mysterious. 
how does it seem to align with a man dying on the cross? You know that total eclipses only, I don't have, but there are long ways in between. I don't know how many there's been, but there hasn't been very many. But, but now even history recorded that there was a space of darkness during that time, and they didn't know Jesus, but they recorded that it happened in Roman history. You want to sign, Jews? I'm going to turn out the lights now. Because the party is over. What you've been doing is done. Where you've been going with this thing is over. For three hours, they can't see. A, a total eclipse. They're going to have to use torches and lanterns to see what they're doing. And then an earthquake. Oh, it's just circumstance. It just happened while he, been, while he was on the cross. It's just one of those things you know, that just came along. It was going to happen anyway. No, isn't it amazing that during the darkness, and this earthquake wasn't just a tremor. It wasn't just a little, you know, maybe one or two on the Richter scale. This busted the graves open. This tore down the veil in the temple that they say was four to six inches thick that 200 priests were employed to put that veil up between the Holy of Holies and the, the holy place. And now this earthquake rips it from the top to the bottom. And as Jesus now the light comes back on the centurion that is standing with him with his officers and his, his cohort there with him. They're guarding this cross. And now they see this. They see all that has happened. And Jesus began to cry, It is finished. And when he cried, It is finished. And he gave up the ghost. This centurion, hardened Roman soldier, now looks around him. He can see the signs. The Jews can't see it, but he can see it. This surely is the Son of God. What the Jews refused, what the Jews rejected, this centurion saw it plain as day. Surely this must have been the Son of God. Surely all the events that happened here, all the things that happened, this must be the Son of God. The second sign, he's laid out in a new tomb. This tomb is going to exemplify the Holy of Holies. It's dark. There is no light coming in. The Holy of Holies behind the curtain of God. And there the priest would come in one time a year. And he would be wearing the linens. Change out of that colorful priestly robe. High priest would lay down that beautiful ephod and robe and put the linens on. This is Jesus in the holiest of holy places. That was just signifying what was to come. That was just showing a mercy of God in an old time. But what you're going to see now is the mercy of God 
the one who will take away the sin of the world. Now he is enclosed, he is encapsulated in this holiest of places there. And the angels now, which you saw in the Old Testament, and God told Moses, make angels out of gold and have them extend their wings over this mercy seat of God. And now when the disciples saw it, they saw the angels at the foot and at the head of Jesus. This is the mercy seat of God. There's nowhere else to go. If you need mercy, there it is. You can't get mercy anywhere else. Here is the living mercy seat of God. And the angels, and the angels are about. I like that line that this morning we sang about that and said, the heavens are roaring because he rose again. Can you say that? Hey, they were there when he was born. Remember that? Out on the hillside with the pre-shepherds and they were out there and said, today is born unto you this Savior. But when Jesus was there in the grave, they were present. They rolled back the stone. They were inside. And don't you believe that heaven was roaring when he came up out of that place? They were worshiping God in the highest when he was born. They were celebrating God Almighty power over all things in the heaven and earth when he rose again from the dead. And during this three days, somebody said, what did Jesus, why three days? What was he doing in the tomb for three days? Why is that? Because he took a trip. He told the thief on the cross, this day you will be with me, not in the tomb, but in paradise. If we track the scripture in Ephesians 4 and in the psalm, I like this one, it says, Lift up your head, O you gates. Lift up your everlasting doors and the King of glory will come in. And somebody said, who is the King of glory? He said, he didn't know who the King of glory was. The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your head, O ye gates. And be lifted up, ye everlasting doors. And the King of glory will come in. I believe they're waiting in paradise. I believe that they have died in the faith, not seeing the promise. But during this next three-day period, the king of glory is going to come into that place. And a little man who died on a cross next to him is going to come in with him. And he is going to preach to the captives, Ephesians 4. And he will lead them out of that place place and he does it in three days I don't know why three days it could have been an hour it could have been one day it could have been two but by the sign of the prophet Jonah he is going to show I'm leading them out and the scripture said that after his resurrection that many came out of the graves and many were seen in Jerusalem by many witnesses the power of Jesus death and burial and resurrection Amazing. The third and final sign. He died. He was buried. But he rose again. Wow. Victorious. See, this was God's original plan. John 1.1. 1, 1. God, God thought it all together in the mighty logos of God. In, in his mind and heart put this thing together. And it was completed in the resurrection of Jesus. No wonder he said it's finished. 
It's done. It's over. It's good. Everything in the Old Testament has been accomplished. Everything that God promised has been accomplished. They were looking forward to him. We're looking back at him, and we're looking forward to him. We see him back there, risen from the dead. We see him alive right now, and we see him coming again for his church. There will be a day we will see his face. We'll know him. We'll see him as he is. Can the church say amen? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Salvation has been won. What Satan tried to thwart, what he tried to bring to naught, what he tried to destroy, because he knew his kingdom was coming down and there was a kingdom that was coming up. There was a kingdom of glory. There was a kingdom that would be preached to the ages. We just stand here this morning, just one little part, one little speck on the globe, and the Lord Jesus Christ is being preached all over the world because He still saves lives. Can you say amen? He still delivers people out of the bondage of sin. He still breaks the curse of sin over people's lives because it was there at that cross, at that burial, at that resurrection, that sin's power was taken away. It cannot rule over the church anymore. You're not a sinner anymore. You're not ruled by sin anymore. You are delivered by the power of Jesus Christ and this message of salvation. Wow. The sign, the sign of Jonah. He was dead, all the one that was dead, but he's alive and living forevermore. Now I want to go to the book of Acts. And those men, it said that they were filled of the Holy Spirit again. I believe this. I believe there is a first filling. And then I believe there's a second filling and a third and a fourth and a fifth. I believe every time that God wants to use our life, we need to be filled with the Spirit of God. And I say this and I don't mean in any way uh, any belittling of any type. But when I'm out doing concrete, feeding the cows, I want God's protection, but I don't really need to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God in order to do those things. But when we get up to preach, man, we're in a different arena. When we go to do the work of God, we're in a different arena. We need to be filled with the Spirit of God so that we preach an elevated word. If you're going to praise Him in the house, you need to be filled with the Spirit to praise Him with an elevated praise. If you're going to pray and lay hands on Him, you need to be filled with the Spirit to pray prayers that are elevated prayers of faith. And so I believe in this way God fills us. Not that the Holy Spirit leaves our life, but this filling. And, and so Paul continues to tell the church that have already been filled, he continues to tell them, be filled with the Spirit. 
Because there's a new thing every day. There's, there's something in front of us all the time we don't know about, and God has to fill us for those moments. Can you say amen? And now Peter and John have been, like I said, they were arrested. They've been threatened. They've been turned loose, and now they come back with the congregation, and they pray to prayer, Lord. Oh, God, fill us with boldness. God, fill us with boldness. I want to pray that prayer this morning because I believe it's a necessary thing for the church. Fill us with boldness. Do you ever feel like sometimes ah, you got through maybe a conversation with somebody, maybe somebody uh, where there was an opportunity to really witness to them and you, and you failed to do that and you just got past it? God, fill us with boldness by the power of the infilling of the Spirit of God. Sometimes we're not bold enough about our faith. Can you say amen? Sometimes we just kind of, you know, we let everything just kind of slip by and, and, and we don't want to be noticed. You know, we just, just won't say nothing. That way, that way nobody will bother us about it. And, and, and the Lord's saying to us this morning, the resurrection of Jesus Christ has got to be preached. It's the only salvation there is. The world is not going to be saved through us being quiet about the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. The church on fire, church. Everybody wants to get on fire and they're thinking about signs and wonders and miracles, but those things are to prove the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And everybody wants to come in church and feel, man, we just had a great time. Boy, this is great. The Lord's just doing everything in the church. And, and we forget that the filling of the Holy Spirit isn't to make us feel good. It's to empower us with boldness, the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something. I don't. If I could go back, how would you like to sit in one of these services? where the Apostle John gets up. Brothers, I was there, and I saw it, and I witnessed it. And now when Mary came back to me and, and said, Jesus has risen from the dead, and that she saw him, well, that really, that really perked up my interest, and I took off running. And I ran to the tomb, and when I got to the tomb... I noticed the stone was rolled back and Jesus wasn't there. And so what I want to tell you this morning, brethren, is that it's real. This isn't a myth. It's not a folk story. I want to tell you about the resurrection. It really happened. And with boldness, John stood up and he declared that Jesus is alive. That Jesus right now, he is alive. And he's in the church. And Peter said, let me have the mic for a minute. Peter said, I was a little slower getting there. But when I got to the tomb, I noticed that John hadn't gone in. He said, but when I went in, and it didn't look like a place where somebody had come in and stole the body. But the linens were folded up, and they were wrapped in a place, and then the headdress was wrapped in a place by itself. And I knew 
Nobody came in here, stole the body of Jesus, undressed him, and folded up the linens. And I knew that Jesus is alive. And then I knew that this gospel is right. And then I knew that I had forsaken, I had denied him, but now the power of Jesus Christ is real. It's real, brethren. It isn't fake. It isn't phony. It isn't a figment of our imagination. Well, pastor, you just get all excited. I'm excited this morning because Jesus Christ is real. His message is real. He's alive this morning. He's here this morning. The Apostle Thomas, he might have spoke up and said, I got something. I got a word. He said, all the rest of the apostles were in a room together. And and they told me that Jesus had appeared to them in that room after his death and resurrection. And he said, but I didn't believe it. I loved the Lord, but I just didn't believe this. But then they met together and I was convinced to be with them. Jesus did show up again. Brethren, now he called to me, come and see my hands and thrust your fingers into my side where they put the spear. And he said, I knew right then. And I fell down and began to say, you're my Lord. And you are my God because it really happened. And with great boldness, they began to preach the message of Jesus Christ. It wasn't just like, we're going to keep this thing going because we got it started back when we'll get this thing. And a lot of people said, well, you know, Jesus really, he was just a figure in history and really nothing, all of that happened. But I'm going to take the witness of the men that were there. Because they preached his resurrection with boldness and conviction. They weren't lying to the folks. They were telling them really what happened. Jesus is alive. They said to the church three things. And Paul repeats these. In the book of Romans, the 10th chapter, there are three factors contained in the salvation message of his resurrection. One of them is that you must confess Lord Jesus, that he is Lord. Confess that he is who he said he is. He said, I am. You must confess that he is. You must confess he's Lord. And then the second thing is, you have to believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead If you have a problem believing that he is Lord or that he is raised from the dead, you can't be saved. Because this thing is about faith. Come on, say amen. This thing isn't about works. It's not about getting your way in there somehow and and making your place. No, no, no. This thing is about faith. And it's about faith. It's not about faith in you. It's not about faith in the church. It's not about faith in the apostles. It's faith in Jesus Christ. The third factor. First, you must believe that he is who he said he is and confess him as Lord. Secondly, you must believe that he is raised 
from the dead. And then third, you have to call upon his name. For all those that call upon his name shall be saved. I don't care who you are this morning. I don't care where you've been this morning. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what your sin is. If you call on the name of the Lord and you believe he is Lord this morning and you confess him as being Lord and you believe in this thing we're calling resurrection, you shall be saved according to the word of God. I've only got five minutes left. I'll make really good use of it. After listening to Smiley bring his message to an end, I hope you know who I mean through Smiley, the biggest pastor in the United States of America. And this week, again, brought his message to an end. His sermon was void of Jesus. It was completely void. It was about doing good things and glorifying God through good work ethic and behavior. And when he got done, he asked, does anybody here want to receive Jesus? Now I'm going to put it this way. To me, that compares to a man giving a motivational speech about athletics, how to work out, how to run, how to get better, how to have the right attitude about it. And then when he's all done with the motivational speech about athletics, ask if anybody there wants to buy a Cadillac. One has nothing to do with the other. Your work ethic, and I believe in work ethic. I, I, I believe in it. Your conduct and how you treat I believe in that stuff. I believe in it. But my salvation doesn't hinge on that. My salvation hinges on a resurrected Savior who said, come. And I came to him, and he took my life and rearranged it and saved my life. That's what my faith is about. Somebody say Amen. Oh, God's going to correct our behavior, and we got a lot of things that we need corrected. I still do. I hate to admit it. You know, I'm pastor, man. I don't have that kind of stuff going on, bad attitudes. And all. I'm, I'm, I'm immune to all that kind of thing, and we wish, you know. But I've got a Savior this morning. Can you say amen? Oh, he's working on me. He's working on me. Saint, he's working on you. He's not done with you. <laughs> He who's begun a good work on you will continue it until the day of his coming. So you never get done. He keeps working on you. But thank God that really doesn't have anything to do with the fact that my faith is anchored in Jesus Christ. His death, his burial, and his resurrection. That's where I'm at this morning. Can the church say amen? It's where I'm at. So after 2,000 years, the infilling of the Spirit of God, that same Spirit of the Lord, Spirit of truth, and Jesus said, I am the truth. The Spirit of truth 
which infills those that believe him is still empowering us to preach this resurrection of Jesus Christ. We continue to embrace that simple formula. Because I like how it ended. The apostles, said, it was said of them, they preached with boldness the resurrection of Jesus Christ and great grace was upon them all. If I preach to you this morning about good to be good and, you know, have all of the qualities of goodness in your life. No, I, I, don't, I don't think we've accomplished it. But if I preach to you the resurrection of Jesus Christ, watch this. Great grace is upon us all. The grace of God upon the favor, charis, the favor, and the favor of God was upon them. On Sunday night, I get up here after church and we're all done, and we gather together with our families. And one of the things that I always try and remember to pray, God, just let your favor be on us. Just, just put your favor on us. If, if you could just favor our families and favor our marriages and favor our life, everything's going to be good with that. If we believe the power of your resurrection, Jesus, you are going to favor us in our life. And so, God, we redirect everything to the power of his resurrection. In our life. Thank you, Jesus. In this prayer. And now, Lord, give your servants all boldness. How many would like a little bit of boldness this morning? Hey, you were bold enough to sit here. God bless you. God bless you. How many would like you say, I love the Lord, but I need just a little more boldness. That's what these disciples are saying. And now, Lord, give your servants all boldness to speak your word. Extend your hand for healing and signs and wonders to happen through your name and to glorify your name and not us. And Jesus will glorify you in it. Get in the church, say amen. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? God bless you all. God bless you all.